Welcome to California Groundbreakers, a place that sets trends, starts movements, and shakes up how things are done around the world. We're inviting interesting people doing innovative things to sit down and talk with us about how they're asking and answering the big questions facing all Californians. Our goal is to inspire change across the state, one conversation at a time. For our last event of 2017, we partnered up with the Crocker Art Museum for its Conversations That Matter series. This podcast is a conversation about the future of the neighborhood that surrounds the Crocker, downtown Sacramento. It has been a little more than a year since the Golden One Center opened in downtown Sacramento. That didn't help the Sacramento Kings much in their first season, but the arena has kicked off a bunch of new development around it and other areas nearby. Like the rail yards, current home to the remodeled Amtrak building and future home of the FC Republic Soccer Arena. There's plans to revitalize the riverfront to make it more accessible. And the city also wants to make Old Sacramento less of a tourist trap and more of a draw for the locals. But what are the plans for housing? For handling the homeless? For turning the still too many stretches of ugly buildings into something more pleasant? For parking and public transit? And making sure downtown doesn't turn into an overpriced playground that only the wealthy can enjoy? We're in the Crocker Museum's lovely Friedman Court with a group of people in charge of handling these issues. Join us as we talk about what has changed, what has improved, what still needs work, and what downtown Sacramento will look like in the future. Good evening, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am so happy to see everybody here tonight. Welcome to the second program in the Crocker's new series of talks called Conversations That Matter. My name is Erin Dorn. I'm the Adult Education and Art Access Coordinator here at the Crocker. And tonight we're extremely excited to be partnering with California Groundbreakers and their executive director, Vanessa Richardson, who has put together an amazing panel, like literally amazing panel. We're very, very happy. And tonight we're gonna be talking about the future of downtown Sacramento, which as I was saying to someone uh, just a few minutes ago, I think everybody has an opinion about, everybody has ideas about. We've already seen a bunch of your ideas already. And if you missed the announcement, this is a board for you to share ideas on Post-its. You can do it throughout the program. Um, tonight, uh, I do want to let you know that this is also about hearing from you as well. So about half the program is going to be hearing from the panel. And then we're going to turn it over to you guys and see what questions you have, see what ideas you have. The Crocker really wants to remind you that this is a place of ideas. Art is about ideas and sharing perspectives. And that's why we want to do programs like these. So I do want to tell you about the next one in our series, which will be with our director, Lyle Jones. So that will be on March 29th, and she's going to be talking about art, audiences, and aspirations. And it's kind of going to be about the future of the Crocker and what you want to see. And that one is really going to be where we want to hear from all of you. So mark your calendars for March 29th, 6.30, and we will see you here for that. Just a couple other reminders, our cafe is open. If you want drinks, if you want food, feel free. And your ticket does grant you admission to all of our galleries. After the show, feel free to go upstairs. We have some beautiful exhibitions going on. And we will be doing a drawing at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. We, will, we have some great prizes, and we'll do a, a drawing once we're all done here. 
And now without any further ado, I want to turn things over to Vanessa Richardson, Executive Director of California Groundbreakers. Thank you so much. Thank you, Erin, and thank you, Crocker Museum, for letting us have this event here. Uh, thank you all for coming. A few people, including some panelists, have asked, what's this California Groundbreakers? What, what do you all do? So uh, I'm going to give you a little information about me, which ties into what we're doing and why you're all here. Uh, I grew up in Sacramento, actually, in Carmichael. I went to Rio Americano, I think like one of our panelists here, go Raiders. But at age 18, I was done with this place. It was boring, Cowtown. My mom, my mom worked in downtown. She worked at the Capitol. Uh, she went in at nine. She left at five or four, actually. And for someone in teenage years at that point, I'm not going to say when. Uh, it was just not. There was not much going on for. Uh, at least in a teenager's point of view. I left and went to get uh, back east. I went to college back east to get my degree in journalism. And I moved back to San Francisco. Actually, I moved to San Francisco during the whole dot-com boom to cover that as a, as a business journalist and business writer. While I was there, I became a member of the Commonwealth Club, which is a civic engagement organization. It's been around since 1903. And they had a lot of events. Every night there was a different event. For example, uh, how technology is affecting San Francisco for better or for worse. So they would have someone from um, uh, Berkeley talking about urban studies, someone from LinkedIn talking about how their company was changing the city. They'd have someone from the mayor's office. All these different points of views. They had a mic in the middle of the audience. Uh, so people could go up and ask questions or suggest. Then they wheeled out the cocktail cart, and people stuck around, and they, they drank, they exchanged business cards, they, they talked with uh, other people because they all had something in common, this topic. And I really learned a lot, and I met a lot of people that way, both uh, business connections and personally. I moved back here two years ago, a little, a little more than two years ago, and I, I noticed a lot of change in San, uh, Sacramento, as, as many of you have seen as well, and I met a lot of people who have moved here from, from, from elsewhere back home, but also from around the state, around the country, and other parts. And I thought, this seems like the kind of audience that would be interested in these kind of events like me. Why don't we have something like this? Why don't we have a Commonwealth Club but make it um, more appropriate to Sacramento. So I came up with uh, California Groundbreakers, and I had my first event actually at Beatnik Studios on the arts back in June 2016 about the art scene in, in Sacramento and, and what was the future of that. I expected 50 people, 200 and change showed up. A lot of people came and said, when's the next event? So I thought, I think I hit something. So I have to tell you, I'm surprised myself. This is our 23rd event tonight. Uh, we've had, thank you, I know, I can't believe it. Can you believe it? 23 events. And the, the main theme for all of them is, I like to call them cocktail conversations, where it is a general, it's a general public event. If you're interested or want to know more to, about an event, you can come uh, to a fun, interesting venue like the Crocker or Beatnik. We've had events at the Barn. We've had events at Roostaller's Tap Room, the former one in, in downtown, and then we plan to have them in the new one uh, that's going up on 700K. Uh, 
we always are going to have great panelists, and we're going to wheel out the cocktail cart, or at least have the crocker serve. And the goal is to learn something, ask questions. We're trying to get some more audience interaction here so that um, during the discussion, I can read your comments and, and then ask some of the panelists, have you thought about this, or, or this seems to be a common theme. So I'd like to get you involved. And then also, it's just a matter of you all have something in common. You're interested in what the future of downtown Sacramento is going to be, what it's going to look like next year, in two years, five years. It affects you as a, as a resident, as a taxpayer, as someone who works here or lives here. So you all have something in common. And then after the discussion, the, the museum's open till 9. You can bombard the panelists if they choose to be and ask some questions or just talk amongst yourselves. So that's always the goal, is to, to have topics that may on the outside look wonky or dry or boring, but make them very interesting, relevant, and relatable to you. So if you have not gone to the table yet, uh, I do have a list of upcoming events uh, for next month. Uh, just off the top of um, my head, we're doing something on Michelin-starred chefs that have come back here to Sacramento, sexual harassment in the capital, and uh, doing business in California. So kind of a mixed bag, but very interesting, relevant topics. And we also have a sign-up sheet, email newsletter we send out, so you can always uh, stay on top of what's going on. Event format, I'm the moderator. I'm going to ask the questions to the panels for about 30 minutes, maybe 40, I'm going to gauge your interest. During that time, please feel free to put more post-its up. I'd really like to use those to see what's what you're thinking. We did a Facebook poll, actually, for this event and got a lot of interesting uh, uh, votes on what is very relevant. So your, your feedback is very important. And then the verbal feedback or questions or opinions at the mic, I'll let you know when it's coming up and you just... I guess line up there and then go to the mic when you're ready. And then um, also I should mention, we record every event for a podcast. So I've already warned the uh, panelists that we're, they're living in posterity online as anyone who's going to the mic. So just briefly, make your questions kind of brief. Stick around the mic until your question is answered just so that you don't walk over there and you want to say something else, no one on the podcast will hear you. So just stay around the mic until the question's uh, asked. And that's it. I don't introduce the panelists. I let them do it because they know themselves best. I also like to use this time to ask for good suggestions, since I'm still fairly new to Sacramento, about good places to eat, drink, hang out. And we're going to be looking at Sacramento, uh, downtown Sacramento specifically. So I'm going to start with the first panelist and ask your name, your title or role, and then just a personal note, where in downtown Sacramento do you like to hang out, whether it's to eat, drink, take a break from work, relax, whichever. So let's start with the gentleman on my left. Thank you very much, Vanessa. I'm John Dangberg, and up until last uh, month, I was the assistant city manager for the city of Sacramento. Um, I, retired, I retired last month. And, uh, but now I'm back with the city under, under contract working on some special projects and filling in until my replacement comes in. So I, I came to the city in 2011, uh, excuse me, 2006, and I uh, was with the city for 11 years and uh, worked on a number of uh, projects in economic development. My favorite place, prior to, 
Well, besides anything in Old Sacramento and anything that Bay Mary owns, uh, <laughs> as far as my favorite places, uh, I used to be the director of CADA, which is uh, an agency in downtown, and uh, was involved in the expansion of the CADA boundaries into R Street, led the legislation that expanded the boundaries to do something with the R Street corridor. So that's very near and dear to my heart, and I love what's going on in R Street. Any place on R Street is just uh, a, a lot of fun for me. I like the excitement down at um, uh, the uh, Ice House blocks, at the newest and, and greatest thing that's going on there. It's just a lot of fun, and uh, so that's, that's my favorite place. Uh, my name is Bay Murray, and I am uh, a partner in 16 Powerhouse Investors LLC at uh, 16th and P. And um, I'm also one of the partners for the 700 block of K Street project across from the arena that's hopefully going to open uh, early next year. And uh, our main parent company, which was started by my father, uh, David Murray, guy wearing white socks right there. Um, <laughs> And my dad's partner, Steve Labosci, uh, DNS Development. I'm the vice president of uh, development there, and I've been there uh, lucky enough to be with my dad and Steve uh, for about almost uh, 15 years now. And um, we, our company, I guess, real quick, some background. We, we kind of have two arms to our company. Uh, one arm is we focus on our existing portfolio. and. Uh, Half of that or so portfolio is your greater Sacramento suburban shopping center, retail strip center, um, duplexes, uh, that kind of income producing property in greater Sacramento. And the other um, side of it is our more urban infill mixed use development where you have apartments on top, retail down below, <clears throat> some combination, some mix. Um, so that's kind of our portfolio existing property side. And then the other arm, if you will, is our new development side. So we love to take either um, vacant land in, in like a blighted area or on a corner that the community would really like to see um, be developed or a historic building like the Maidstone at um, 15th and J across from the Memorial Auditorium, a building that's caught fire. It sat there for nearly a decade empty and we love to rehab um, those buildings, especially historic buildings with a lot of character and charm. So that's kind of our, our company in a nutshell. Um, I did go to Rio Americano and uh, uh, after, uh, I didn't grow up in Carmichael though, we grew up in Fair Oaks and I used to commute <laughs> 15, 20 minutes every day back and forth to go to the good school <laughs> um, and have aspirations there and follow in the footsteps of my older sister. And then um, I followed in her footsteps and went to UC Berkeley as well, and then came back and joined my dad and Steve about 15 years ago. So that's us in a nutshell real quick. And then as far as favorite places to eat, um, I know I'm kind of biased, but uh, my wife, Catherine Bartis, Catherine Bartis Miri, I should say now, as of two months ago, and I, um, we live actually at our 16 powerhouse development at 16th and P which means we happen to live right above um, Magpie. And we've known uh, Ed and Janelle for since 2009, right, Dad? So nine years now we've known them, and we've been lucky enough to have them as part of our extended family. And 
Um, back then, no one knew about local sustainable food and making sure you know where your food comes from and, and all those kinds of themes. And so obviously we love them. Some of the other places around town that we really like, um, Billy No from Crew uh, is considered one of the best sushi places around. We're lucky enough to have him as part of our K Street development. Um, and then a new project that, um, new restaurant that just opened that I don't have anything to do with, so I don't wanna only name places that we're involved in, um, that Clay Nutting just did called Cannon in East Sacramento. For those of you who haven't been, um, it's over on 34th Street, um, right next to the Fitness Rangers, which Adam Mattia from Rio Americano opened <laughs> over many years ago. So Clay's new restaurant, Cannon, um, We've gone there a few times recently, and we've really enjoyed it. So, Yeah, and he's one of the chefs that's going to be on that Michelin-starred chef panel next month. Um, since he got a Michelin star, so that'll be very exciting. Brooksy. Hello. Um, my name is Brooksy Hughes, and I am the Old Sacramento District Director with the Downtown Sacramento Partnership. Um, uh, last couple of panels I did, I was able to say I was new here, and I think it's been almost two years, so I'm not quite so new anymore. Uh, a little bit about my background. I came here from uh, New York City where I lived for 17 years and my background is in festival and event production as well as public space activation and consulting on riverfronts and how to bring people to rivers and districts. So I came here to have lunch with a friend um, a couple years ago. I literally came off of I-5 after driving across country pulled into Old Sacramento, the very first second of being in Sacramento, and parked, went upstairs, met my friend for lunch, and about six months later, I had an office right where I parked. So, <laughs> and it wasn't my intention to take a job. Uh, I got totally um, uh, immersed in the city. It just took me in, and I knew I was ready to make a change from New York and I didn't know where that would be. And I just really fell in love with Sacramento, initially with the Midtown area, and then as I spent more time in Old Sacramento, I just felt like it had a story that was still trying to be told. Um, from the outside coming in, it was just this amazing treasure that I thought, wow, if this was anywhere else, you wouldn't be able to afford to live here or dine here. This would be the highest rent district you know, people don't like the word cool because things that are cool come in and out of fad, but, but really a really cool area. So when I had the opportunity to uh, take this position, uh, I really saw it as an honor and as a way of marrying together both my events and festival work and my public space activation and riverfront work. So it's new for me to be the operator, if you will, and uh, it's really been uh, a big challenge and also a great joy at the same time. So where do I hang out? Well, sadly, Old Sacramento is probably much where I spend all my time, and I don't say that like sadly, but I just really don't go many other places still. Um, I love being there. I lived there for the first year I was here too, by the way, so I really did just stay there. Um, but I love the Delta King and Rio City because for me it's about being on the river. I like the sunsets and to go into the pilot house at the Delta King. Um, you really feel like you just took a little mini vacation for an hour or so to step in there. So that's still kind of my favorite spot. And then I like River City Saloon because I'm, I'm drawn to those old, you know, jukebox bars. So that kind of place is uh, pretty cool for me. Okay, hi. hi, everyone. My name is Richard Rich. I am um, 
I'm the special projects manager for the city of Sacramento, and I have a somewhat different story. Uh, my dad was a naval pilot, so I got to move every two or three years for the first 20 years of my life, and then went into a, a business, project management of big projects, where I got to continue to move every two or three years, going to you know, Las Vegas, Manhattan, Orlando, Sacramento. And um, the, I guess the advantage of that, if you will, is that because I don't have really a hometown, I get to pick my own hometown. It's sort of in the contract, if you're a Navy kid, to be able to do that. And over the, the period of time that, that my wife and I have been here, 2004 was the first time I got off a plane in, uh, in Sacramento. And all I'd known at that point was every two years, right, Sacramento takes a beating with political ads, right? You know, tell Sacramento to take a, well, that's all I knew about Sacramento until I got off the plane and I smelled the harvest in the air, honestly. I came, it's like, oh my God, this is great. And I went downtown. I don't know what I expected other than just see, you know, fat cat politicians, but it turned out to be like beautiful. I went, oh my God, this is a beautiful place. I came up to do uh, the rail yards, to be the development director of it, and it was, it was pretty um, speculative at first. For the first couple of years, we were negotiating with Union Pacific to purchase the property. That's like negotiating with the federal government. No, it's worse, actually, than negotiating with them. But we did the deal, uh, bought a house right at the peak of the market, and <laughs> said, oh my god, this is great, 20 years, this is it. We're finally someplace we can stay. Uh, and did for a few years, and then uh, uh, the downturn, maybe maybe if you remember that downturn, I certainly do, because <clears throat> we lost the rail yards at, at that point, and I was here in Sacramento sort of floating. And uh, my wife and I, who both used to work for Disney, said, should we go back to L.A.? And, you know, something funny happened as we really started thinking about it. We thought, no, because even though we would have made a lot more money, our quality of life would have been nothing compared to what we have here. We've got more friends than we've got chairs. We go out all the time. We live in Midtown. My favorite places have all closed, actually. Rubicon, <laughs> distillery, you know, I mean, it's like, I'm not gonna tell you my next favorite place because I, something bad's gonna happen to it. So, uh, <clears throat> But you know what happens is that you know I live in Midtown. I work in downtown, so I walk every day, all the time. I think I think I figured it out one day. I like walked 60,000 blocks in downtown. So like my favorite places, they're the weirdest little places. I mean, like sometime I'll be walking down an alley and somebody's put a spot of gum on a telephone pole and put two eyes and a smiley face on it, and like whoa. So you know those are the kinds of things that Sacramento gives you if you're open to them, and it's part of the reason that we've decided that we're going to be here forever. So a year and a half ago, um, uh, we were sort of hooker by crook. We'd bought and sold the fruit building, something that I think Bay had actually wanted and, and had, the, had the greatest line of ever. And I said, Bay, how much of, of the town do you want to buy? And he said, all of it. You know, it's pretty close. So uh, we had done some other things, and uh, I was sort of in between those other things, and John called and said, let's have coffee. He said, have you ever thought about working for the city? And I, I said, no. And then he said, well, we need some help with the rail yards. You know, he doesn't play fair, so like rail yards. And so here I am working now for the city and enjoying the heck out of it.
Thank you again uh, for all of you to, uh, coming. So we got a lot of questions and I'm um, getting the uh, post-its off of the, so please keep on uh, putting them there because I'm gonna uh, refer to them as we talk. So I've got a question for each panelist and I'm gonna start with John since you were uh, here with City of Sacramento. Uh, pretty much the point guy on the arena and I think for many of us, the Golden One Center is kind of at least the modern, the start of today's downtown Sacramento renaissance. So in some cases, building an arena um, can be costly. Uh, a lot of griping from taxpayers, how much is going to cost and the debt load. So when it started, you know, as an idea for moving the Kings to downtown and building an arena, just in layman's terms, talk about the city's role in getting the arena started and going without taking on a lot of money, without a lot of headaches. And that's the first part of my question. So like the, from idea to the, the um, opening up a year ago. Thank you. Well, that's a, uh tough question to answer on a panel like this because there is a very long history uh, of uh, efforts to get a new arena built. Uh, Highlights, I guess, then. Yes, I will, uh, in, Good in downtown bad. Sacramento. But um, the concerns people had are justified. I mean, there are many arena investments that are made around this country that really don't have spin-off benefit. And uh, we took the time to go and look at other arenas in other cities to see where they were successful and where they were not and why. And um, key to uh, uh, an arena and that investment uh, making sense for a city as an investment is uh, to ensure that it is integrated into an urban fabric and principally downtown so that it provides more benefits than just basketball games and, and concerts in our the case of our Natomas Arena out in the middle of nowhere where you parked, walked into the arena, you by the time you got back to your car, you were on your way home. You, there was no other activity, there was no spin-off benefit uh, beyond uh, the, um, directly going to the game or event there. So that was um, uh, key and even if you build an arena in a downtown environment, uh, there are good examples of that and bad examples of that. You have to um, truly, you know, turn the facility almost inside out, pay as much attention to the outside of the facility and how it integrates into the community as you do on the inside. So those questions were justified. They are expensive. Um, and I'll spare you the, the, the long history, but I will tell you that we went through a, a number of exercises even before I started with the city going back into the early 2000s that failed for a number of reasons. I was involved starting in 2006 with the uh, uh, Q&R effort which um, got a whopping 19% support as a tax measure for, for an arena. My mother didn't even vote for it. What um, does Q&R stand for? Uh, it, it was just measure Q and measure R. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and uh, I won't go into the details but you know, there were a number of efforts, two proposals in the rail yards, one at Cal Expo, a couple of uh, requests for proposals that went out that had six or more proposals for an arena in each one, a lot of exercises, uh, all of which failed uh, when we got to negotiations and actually agreed upon terms with the Maloofs. For one reason or another, they failed. And the good news was that we learned a lot in that process 
and it prepared us for the opportunity that came along in uh, 2013, January of 2013 when we learned that uh, the Maloose wanted to sell the team. And they were the common denominator in all of these failures. We'd come to an agreement and then for whatever reason they'd back out or something wouldn't work. So our mayor seized upon that opportunity in January of uh, uh, 2013 and it really coincided with an, a number of other great opportunities that made this all work very, very well. Um, one, our learning experience, which I'll tell you a little bit about that financing very briefly and how that worked, but also the right location was chosen and how that happened was a JMA, a developer, a sort of a boutique developer, purchased uh, downtown plaza, the Westfield Plaza, that had always been the, pr the best location and it was proposed by Mayor Fargo back in the early 2000s and she announced it and the next day in the B, uh, the Westfield, the owners of the mall were interviewed and they say, great idea, but we don't support it and we're going to have nothing to do with it. So, but it was always the best location. When JMA bought that, they bought it for $22 million. It had, in the early 2000s, had an assessed value of $175 million. It was at the bottom of the market, had a 50% vacancy rate. It was really dragging down the downtown. That was unfortunate, but it was a great opportunity to reposition the property. JMA on their own, between August of 2012 when they bought it and when the team went up for sale, had done their own study feasibility study for an arena on that site, having previously watched all our different efforts and determined that it was feasible. So when the Maloose announced they were going to sell, the mayor went out to find a new ownership group. JMA came to the table and said, we'll put our property in and make this thing work. Uh, there was a, a condition with the NBA that if this ownership group bought the team, they had to keep it in Sacramento and build a new arena. So it really put the city in a very, very good negotiating position with that group. Now, for our financing, one of the things that we had learned was that we had a lot of uh, value uh, that hadn't been extracted from our parking enterprise. And how parking enterprises generally work is that cities will build a garage, uh, they collect parking revenue, they pay the debt down on that garage, plus there's inflation, and as your city grows, now you have capacity to borrow more money and you build another garage and another garage. Well, the last thing we needed in downtown Sacramento was another garage because the one under Westfield Plaza was empty because of the vacancy. So instead of borrowing against that enterprise to build more parking, we borrowed against it to uh, create demand for parking and build the arena. So we borrowed uh, and contributed to the arena uh, through that and a couple of other sources, uh, $250 million. Uh, the Kings matched that essentially, but took cost overrun risk, and they ended up putting in about 55% of the cost. We put in about 45% of the cost. Uh, the city owns it and we lease it back uh, to uh, the Sacramento Kings. And they pay us rent, starting out at $6.5 million a year and going up to $18.5 million a year. So um, in, in that structure, because you had asked us why is this uh, earlier, why, why, how is this financially good for, for uh, the city, is that uh, the Kings 
payment to the city, the lease payment, covers about 60% of our debt service cost. Another 25% comes from that excess revenue that we had in the um, parking fund and uh, about 11% through growth in the parking fund. And these were all pretty known and reliable sources that we could uh, depend on for our debt service. Uh, we did not take into consideration speculative revenues, that there be valuation growth surrounding the arena, which a lot of cities have done, and it gets them in trouble if that doesn't happen because it's speculative. We didn't assume that. We only used revenues that we knew we would generate from uh, this, this arena enterprise. And what's happened is that we have had that growth. You know, I told you that the uh, plaza was worth $22 million. Well, it now has a $560 million arena sitting on it that because it is leased by a private entity, they do pay us property taxes on. There's a new hotel on that site, the Sawyer Hotel, and uh, the retail that's gonna open shortly collectively worth another 750 million. So we've gone from assessed valuation of 22 and a half million to well over a billion dollars in value. And just in property transactions in the surrounding blocks, we've seen another 200 million dollars in assessed valuation that, you know, we get 1% of that, the city and county does in, and state in taxes. So hugely successful for the city just from a property tax perspective and now we have development like Bay's project and others um, surrounding it that are adding hundreds of millions of dollars of more value and maybe more importantly activity and people downtown and so, there. so good job on the city's part so yes next question for you Bay is that 700k block right next to the arena I guess it's a gateway to the arena. And you, I guess with the R Street, it's, uh, it used to be, you know, uh, a stretch of kind of run down, not, not well used, and you helped turn that into a big hotspot. So it seems like 700K is the next part. Um, what do you, what are you putting in there specifically? What's your vision of 700K and that area? What do you want to see happen, and how are you going to get that uh, established? Sure. Um, so... It's uh, <laughs> going to be a mouthful of an answer. So uh, the 700 block of K Street, first of all, it's a partnership between uh, five of us. And I uh, think it's important to start off by uh, saying who all the partners are. So uh, one half of the equation there is the DNS development side, which consists of myself, my father, and Steve. And the other half of the equation um, which we're very lucky to have as, as a partner on the project is uh, another local family-run company in Sacramento, um, CFY Development, which uh, is run by Cyrus and his son Ali Yusefi. And uh, they focus primarily on affordable housing, mixed-use housing, and they've done a lot of great projects around town that I should point out real quick, uh, including the Globe Mills project uh, over in the Alkali Flat area. Um, as well as, more recently, the Warehouse Artist Lofts project um, on R Street. And so uh, that's kind of our makeup, right? So two local firms um, that were selected by the city uh, during a request for qualifications process back in 2010. 
And I think one of the big reasons why our two companies were selected, there was four proposals on the table, was because both of our firms have uh, quite a bit of experience with historic rehab and preservation. Um, and our proposal proposed to not demolish the existing buildings on the 700 block of K Street. So there's, there's nine existing buildings that are there um, still today. And instead of just keeping the facade of one of them or completely demolishing them, we're truly preserving them as much as we can while still making the project viable. And what I mean by that is we're keeping the first 90 feet of each of the buildings. And there's nine of them on the block. And for those of you who don't know, uh, the depth of most properties around the city is 160 feet, right? So by keeping them at 90, we essentially chopped off the back 70 feet and completely demoed it. And we built a new six-story building on the backside. And we're attaching that new building to the existing buildings that faced K Street. So there was nine existing buildings. Um, those nine buildings are going to be around 72,000 square feet of retail. So what does that mean? That's going to be somewhere around 16 um, predominantly local restaurant, bar, retail, nightlife, um, neighborhood service oriented type of businesses. So 16 predominantly local businesses, mostly facing K Street, um, mostly on the ground floor as well as in the basement. So that's another really cool part of the project is that um, the original elevation of Sacramento was about 9, 10, 11 feet lower. And so we're able to utilize all these really cool basements in these really cool historic buildings that have a lot of character. And so when you go into each of these buildings, we've incorporated those basements in different ways. And it's really fun for our team to have a project that has that. Um, so concepts like Roostaller that we're lucky enough have come over from around the corner um, and stay in downtown, they're able to use, say, in the case of Roostaller, a really cool exposed brick space um, and embrace a lot of the existing structure that was there and embrace the history that was there. So um, again, 72,000 square feet, uh, around 16 retail businesses, mostly on the front side, in that first 90 feet. And then in the rear portion of the project, which is the remaining 70 feet where that six-story building is, we have uh, most of the housing that's in the project, 122 out of a total of 137 mixed-income apartments are on the backside. There's another 15 on the upper floors of the retail that I just mentioned. So um, 122 mixed-income apartments. What does mixed-income mean? Um, mixed-income means that we have 60% of our units that are set aside with a 55-year regulatory agreement where the rents must remain at a certain level. They can't go any higher. They're restricted. And so those units which range from studios, one bedrooms, one bedroom plus den, two bedroom, two-story townhome, we have a whole range of units. Um, the rents on those units are pretty much uh, almost all of them are less than $850 or $900 a month, to give you a sense. So out of 137 apartments, we have quite a bit of them that are less, you know, that are in a rate that's ideally um, accessible to a large portion of the population out there that wants to live downtown, wants to experience downtown, 
but doesn't want their rent to be three, four, or five times um, more than what's ideal based off their income, right? So 137 mixed income apartments with 60% of them set aside for people making 50%, 60% of the median income. And then the other 40% of the units are market rate units. Um, so our rental range is gonna be anywhere from that $800 or so range. It'll actually start out in like the $550, $600 range, all the way up to probably like the low 2000 range, mid 2000 range for like a top floor, two-story penthouse unit. So I tell you all this because <clears throat> I know for me personally, to be a part of a project that has all these different components as part of it is an extremely rare, unique case. I mean, from a developer's perspective, I can share with you that to have a project that has all the historic rehab that's in our project, that has the new construction on the backside, which is also very um, innovative, forward-thinking new construction. It's five and a half floors of wood over one floor and underground parking out of concrete. Um, that itself is forward-thinking. Most housing that's been built to date is four stories of wood over a podium of concrete or just four stories from the floor. So to have the historic preservation, to have the innovative new construction, to have predominantly local retail, um, to have mixed income apartments, and then finally, to have a project that's right across the street from our brand new um, arena and in the midst of all this high density development with the hotel that's already been built, the Sawyer, um, the hotel that's gonna be built, the Hyatt-centric, um, and all these other exciting projects that are around us, it's a one-of-a-kind, <laughs> a once-in-a-lifetime experience, truly, for our partnership. And so, um, even though it's been quite an ordeal to date, it's, uh, again, this process started in 2010, and we're finally getting to the point where it's almost done. So it's been seven years, um, and we've seen every curveball you could think of be um, come our way, whether it was the demise of redevelopment, we had to deal with that for a while, financing issues, we had to deal with that for a while, cost overruns, because um, historic rehab is not easy, it's very labor intensive, um, going out and trying to get more loans, going out and putting more money into the project. I mean, you name it, we've, we've seen it on this project. It's been literally a seven-year ordeal. The rains last year, as all of you I'm sure know, <laughs> um, those kinds of rains are not good for construction projects. So, um, <clears throat> but we keep focusing on the exciting stuff, like the stuff that I mentioned, and I really just quickly want to touch on one other thing that I think hopefully you guys find as interesting as I do. Um, you know, going back to your question at the beginning about what are our favorite places to go and eat and drink and where we like to go and have, you know, human collisions, I've heard it be called, where um, you go and randomly run into other people you know around town. Well, we're going to have a whole lot of that at our block. Um, and for us to be able to showcase a lot of the local talent that we have in Sacramento with new concepts by uh, business owners that already have successful businesses, and for them to be able to magnify what they do in a location there, which happens to have all the people coming to the arena and coming to events right across the street, is a pretty cool thing. So again, people like Billy from Crew, um, the owners of Red Rabbit, 
Um, you know, Solomon's delicatessen, right? That's part of the. Is that part of Solomon's delicatessen? Yeah. So um, starting from the from the end of the block, uh, we have Koja Kitchen, which they're actually out of the Bay Area. It's like a fast, casual Japanese Korean place. Next to them is Solomon's Delicatessen, which is going to be in the old Tower Records space that a lot of people are excited about. I mean, they're not a day goes by that someone from our group doesn't hear excitement from someone about uh, wanting that place to open because we don't have a Jewish deli really around town. And it's a really cool group that's doing that project. It's um, the people behind Red Rabbit. It's Andrea from Hot Italian. The place is named after Russ Solomon. For those of you who don't know, Russ Solomon started Tower Records. The space used to be a Tower Records store. Um, so, uh, you know, that's a really exciting concept that we're looking forward to. Um, next to Solomon's, we have a pizza concept, Medici Pizza. Underneath them, <clears throat> we have uh, Roostaller Beer, Insight Coffee is part of the project, Billy from Crew and Fishface is doing a new sushi concept called Budai. Um, we have a clothing boutique tenant. Uh, for those of you who haven't heard of official and all good clothing boutique, um, Jason is a Sacramento um, native who uh, started a hat company called Official and he made it internationally. I mean, he has had pop-ups and boutiques in Korea, China, Japan, and he came back home and he's starting this new clothing boutique called All Good, um, which is kind of like a kind of like a less granola version of Patagonia, for those of you that know Patagonia. So he's going to have a really cool boutique. And then lastly, I know I get kind of passionate when we talk about this stuff. Um, another great concept we have that's non-food, that's why I want to point it out, is um, Brian Washington, who here locally is, no one personifies Sacramento more than Brian. He owns um, the Academy Gym in Alkali Flat, and he's going to open a really cool uh, indoor cycling concept called All City Riders. So we have a mix of all these really cool, mostly local, retail concepts. Very cool. I should mention, I, I feel like there's this... I, I should also say kudos to you for hanging in there seven years uh, getting this done. Um, I should mention there's a whole bunch of you over here that if you want, there is space up front because I feel like the, um, the speakers are blocking it. So uh, if you don't want to be shy, there's plenty of space up here up front. Um, so one area of town that has been around since the beginning and is getting a new eye is Old Sacramento. And our new mayor, Daryl Steinberg, announced in the spring, you know, that's an area that he wants to take a look at and see how we can um, get more locals there uh, along with the tourists. So Brooksy, uh, you're leading the charge in, you know, taking a look at what what can be done and what should be done in revitalizing old Sacramento in a way. So in your, what has it been, a year and a half since uh, you've been with the Downtown Sacramento Partnership, what are the uh, what are the things that you've been uh, taking on so far, what old Sacramento is, has started um, or finished? What's the medium and long-term plans for um, making old Sacramento a, a must-see and must-do place for Sacramentans? Well, the first thing I want to say is I still owe uh, John Daneberg a big thank you for bringing this gentleman into the Riverfront Project, who has been focused uh, from the city side on Old Sacramento and really helped to create uh, an even stronger partnership with the city. So there's a lot of things that we are looking to do together as we go forward um, that uh, 
a year ago were not necessarily, the, the path did not look quite as easy. And, and, so, and she's referring to the panelist who has not yet spoken. Not yet yeah, spoken. Not yet spoken, but will. <laughs> the man to my left, Richard Rich. Uh, so uh, it was about a year ago, actually, next week, um, that I got the call from him, and he was walking out of John's office. So I was thrilled uh, to have the new partnership there. As far as what we're doing, you know, there's, when you look at revitalizing an area, it can be a really heavy lift because one of the things that you're dealing with when you're talking about somewhere like Old Sacramento is decades and decades and decades of a certain mindset of what people think the place is. And a lot of that is true. A lot of it is what you grew up knowing and where you went as a kid or you know where you took your children and now maybe where you take your grandchildren. Uh, so we tend to walk through those spaces with a very specific vision. We know where that store is. We know it's there's the candy. We know there's the t-shirts. Um, and so the challenge is to let people know that that's actually a small percentage of what's in Old Sacramento. So in the beginning, at the really basic level, is to try to find out, you know, how do people feel about it and what is their, what is their memory recall and then try to help redirect that. And when I say redirect that, not to something that's not there, but so I'll share this with you. You know, there's a 124 stores and restaurants in Old Sacramento. And of those 124, less than 10 are t-shirt and candy. And yet that is the predominant thing everybody says, right? I mean, most of you have had that, that thought. So what's the other, you know, 100 or so plus stores? What is that that's going on down there? So we've really been trying to get the word out to come down, see what's going on, realize that there's some hidden gems down there that maybe you don't see. You walk right past that store every time on your way into Evangeline's, which is an amazing destination store. But right next to it is something that when we pointed out to you, people are like, I had no idea it was there how wonderful this particular place is. So that's part of it. Um, also, you know, looking at some of the events and festivals and new ways to attract locals through things that they like that are relevant. And then of course, building on the history because that is the cornerstone of Sacramento and Old Sacramento is the historic value. And there's so many wonderful things to experience that can be experienced through the, the views of another generation. You know, what is Old Sacramento like through the eyes of a tourist, through the eyes of, of a child, a local, you know, a man, a woman, different ages. So looking at Old Sacramento through all these different lenses to see how do we um, create uh, excitement and entertainment and activities that appeal to a larger audience, uh, not just the family audiences that we have. So along those lines, you know, the riverfront itself, the water, uh, man, we need to get down to the river. And so coming up with things that we can do at the river's edge, uh, which the city has invested um, in the redevelopment of the Embarcadero, which will be finished shortly, and then a really great asset was the opening of the Second Street entrance off of Capitol Mall. That has made a tremendous difference in access into Old Sacramento. So a lot of great things coming up. We have the sesquicentennial of the Transcontinental Railroad. So that started in Old Sacramento. And so in 2019, we'll be celebrating the 150th anniversary of that, which is a national and international event. So we'll be looking to partner with a lot of people uh, there as well. Um, really going to be excited to take some questions because I could go on forever about all these different things with Old Sacramento, but I always find that there are all these different thoughts that people have um, that 
that is helps is I'm still learning, you know. Yeah, and a lot of people, thank you, have been putting some really interesting uh, comments. So I'm kind of uh, putting them together in categories because there's a few trends. Also on Facebook, we did polls and there were a few trends there, which I'll ask you about later, and I'm sure audience will too. So last but not least, that gentleman that you referred to, Brooksy, uh, Richard Rich, you're looking at the rail yards, but I wanted to ask you specifically about the waterfront because it does include old Sacramento, but I think you are t um, you're in charge of looking at the a three and a half mile stretch of waterfront from Discovery Park down south to Miller Park. So I know there's been a lot of um, um, articles that I've read about you know what to do and suggestions that have been coming up about how to revitalize the riverfront and some have been pretty grand like an arch like uh, St. Louis and interactive art displays and um, I mean there's so much that people want to do with a riverfront activated. What are you looking at in terms of what can be done um, in terms of time frame and also, I guess, financially, what can be done? What are you? What are some? What are some realistic uh, visions for revitalizing the riverfront that you have? I'm going to leave realistic out for a okay. moment. Okay. <laughs> Just, All right. Because it'd be a very short conversation for now. <laughs> um, when the mayor uh, and and John asked me to take a look at the riverfront, I, I did the same kind of thing that m most of you probably do, and that is the what. The, where's the riverfront? You know, it, it's uh, we're at the confluence of two magnificent rivers, and yet for the most part, we are we're, we're separated from them to such a degree that they don't really matter in our lives. So, uh, I started with a, a deep dive. I used to use all rail metaphors, you know, like the trains leaving the station. Now I use all river metaphors. So, I started with a deep dive in terms of of the river, uh, the rivers. And it, it really kind of it became interesting. If you look at our relation, and I'll say our relation as Sacramentans with, with our rivers, and, and sort of make that akin to the life of, of someone, okay? And so you take the arc of the city and don't look at it just today. Uh, but the city began, right, in the 1840s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Those were like go-go days. Those were like incredible days where we were, in a sense, the city was like a child. And it was growing like a child, and it was like a weed. It was just, you know, it started at the river, everything started and ended there, and then it went east, bang, basically until it hit the Sierras, right? I mean, so the, Sierra, it, the city grew unbelievably in ways that we couldn't imagine right now. There's a fire. Six months later, there's 180 buildings built now. For any of you that have ever gone through our building department, you don't get your permit in 180 days, much less build, rebuild a city. So during that period, you know, the first 50, 60, 70 years, we were sort of that child. Fast forward, if you will, to the 50s and the 60s when, say, we were in our adolescence. And like many adolescents, we kind of turn our back on our childhood. And this city did exactly that. It built I-5 in between us and the river, and suddenly the river was basically irrelevant because the city was then on the east side of that, and we kind of forgot about what was happening there, right? It was the east end, it was the labor market, it was where hobos were. I mean, it just kind of like wasn't anything. Fortunately, there was a group of people that said, wait, let's try and save this part of it, Old Sacramento. So again, fast forward another 50, 60 years to today, Right? And we're sort of like young adults, we're like powerful young adults. 
and you look what the heck is happening in this city right now, and it's exactly what a young adult in the full of their life would be doing, and that's us now. But also, in the full of your life, often, you will have enough maturity to say, wait a minute, where did I start? I know I didn't care when I was a teenager. As a matter of fact, I reject that, but now, mom, dad, you're not as dumb as I thought you were. What was going on? What did happen? Why is that important? And so the idea of reconnecting to our roots matters to us in the arc of this city. You know, one day we'll be an old city, 150 years from now, and we will have that connection cemented. Somehow we've got to get through I-5, right? Okay, that's a problem. That's why I don't want to talk about, you know, financially what's, what's possible right now. But you have to work with I-5. Yeah, exactly. Right now you have to wor work with I-5. Okay, so, so with all of that as sort of the baseline, you look at the riverfront and you say it kind of boils down to like five zones of opportunity. And you look at, and you think about them, jaboom, you know, where the hotels are and the little gas stations up there in Tuscornia Park. And you think, that's really a zone of opportunity? <laughs> Bet your ass, that is a great piece of real estate that is ready for redevelopment. Many of those pieces of property have traded recently. The people who bought them understand they have prime riverfront property on a confluence of two major rivers. That is an area that you will see redeveloped to the next level. Next level of opportunity, next zone of opportunity is the rail yards. I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? It's one of the only areas that I-5 is above and you can actually get to the river. I'm not gonna go into that into a lot of depth. Third area, Old Sacramento. I mean, that is sort of like, of course, Old Sacramento. It's an immense asset that we have, perhaps a little tired, but it can be freshened. It's a historic district, there aren't many of those. You just add one word to that, make it a historic entertainment district, and all of a sudden it becomes relevant to come back to. Further down, you have another opportunity in the docks. Um, that's a little bit farther out. And then even further south of that, you have a great opportunity in Miller Park in the marina. I mean, that's, again, like the rail yards 20 years ago is probably where that is now. 20 years from now, I think that you'll see that that area could be redeveloped into a great marina, village, mixed use. And we would say something like, well, of course, what took so long to get to this? So the opportunities on, on, the, on the riverfront go from immediate Old Sacramento, to a 20-year horizon, if everything goes right, in Miller Park. And it would be that reconnecting to the river, which is, frankly, part of the spirit, part of the underlying uh, you know, ethos of who Sacramento is and what makes us different than any other place in the nation. So I'd like to, I'd like to get audience questions now. Um, so if anyone wants to start lining up at the mic, I've got a couple of questions, but I'd definitely like to get as many in the next half hour as we can. So uh, please start feeling free to line up and uh, we'll get to you. But speaking of audience uh, Q&A and polling, like I mentioned before, we, we put the event on Facebook and I did ask, uh, let's take a poll um, and get your votes on what you want to see happen in the Central Business District, uh, what should be built in the rail yards, uh, what should be done along the waterfront. So with the Central Business District, and just in general in the downtown, number one hands down was housing, in particular affordable housing, and I'm sure you hear this a lot. Um, a lot of concern about um, you know, low inventory, rising rents, and how can we do more affordable housing? So in your roles um, for the various 
areas that you manage, what do you see in terms of housing being built in the rail yards, a more of what, what you're doing, Bay, with the city of Sacramento's point of view? What is being done, what can be done, what cannot be done in terms of building more housing and, and making it affordable for most Sacramentans? Who, who would like to start? Start with John? one piece on that. Okay. Well, there's, there's an irony uh, that I want to speak about when it comes to affordable housing. In markets that are um, active and there is uh, demand for housing, you see uh, rents go up. One of the dynamics we've had in Sacramento is that even though rents are going up, um, it still hasn't been uh, feasible from uh, a profitability standpoint for developers to build market rate housing. And so what's happening, market rate housing. even market rate housing. And so what, what, what we've seen here is what was de facto affordable housing in some of the secondary and tertiary markets in Sacramento, those apartments are being uh, sought by people who have higher incomes that can afford to pay for that and, and people of lower incomes are being displaced. And that, creates, that leads to another problem when you have, for example, a single uh, head of household with a couple of kids. Once they're displaced out of that housing, their re-entry to the market is really, really hard and expensive for them. But what's, what's happening now in Sacramento is uh, market rates have gotten to the point uh, where it is feasible to, to develop multifamily housing. And we have a lot of multifamily housing uh, in the pipeline through our planning and building department right now. So in one sense, rising rents is a good thing because it will uh, induce more development that will at least take the pressure off of maybe some of the lower end, more de facto affordable housing. Um, there is just no way that the affordable housing programs that are offered through the federal government, the state, and local government can keep up with the demand right now. We are so far behind the curve, and uh, the, the cost to do some of the affordable housing that uh, Bay is doing, I mean, it's uh, in uh, subsidies. I mean, after you get what are called tax credits and these other federal benefits, it's still $150,000 of uh, funding that needs to come from local government per unit. It's extraordinarily expensive, and we just don't have the resources to keep up with it. So um, it's, it's a huge challenge for us, but the good news is, is that we're seeing market rate product being developed in some of our new growth areas like Natomas. We have a load of uh, really high-end luxury apartments uh, going in out, out there that will provide relief in the marketplace and at least slow down some of the escalation uh, that we see in, um, in housing. And is the rail yards, and for, for those of you, you know, it's the, the rail yards is the area behind the Amtrak station where there's still the rail yard buildings where trains used to be repaired. Is that an area where, you know, in terms of downtown Sacramento, where to put housing and make it affordable, that would be like ground zero, I guess? Is that the, the area of promise in this, uh, part of town? Absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, the rail yards has uh, long been targeted as a, um, an area that is dominated by, by housing. Uh, again, the, the, and there is affordable housing in the pipeline uh, for the rail yards, but, um, you know, there are still, for vertical housing, there's some market feasibility challenges there. Um, there is some, something in the works. I mean, you know, in terms of uh, aspirationally, 
I would like to see almost nothing but housing in the rail yards. Personally, I would like housing to be the anchor. And if you've been to places like the Pearl District in, in Portland, I mean, there is no you know, office anchor or anything like that in that district. The anchor use is housing. And they have a lot of a uh, mix of affordable and affordable by design and uh, uh, subsidized affordable housing along with a, a great deal of market rate. That's, that would be wonderful to see, but we are going to have some great uh, institutional uh, uses that are um, coming in soon. We've got the uh, Superior Courthouse. Um, they have secured land there, and that is uh, one project. Of course, Kaiser is moving in a, a full-scale hospital into the rail yards, and uh, we're going to learn uh, very soon. Next week is the uh, Major League Soccer Board of Governors meeting where we will uh, make a, a pitch, the mayor will make a pitch along with uh, the Republic FC team uh, to get uh, an expansion team, and that would be the location of a, of a soccer stadium. But surrounding all of that uh, is um, housing. If they don't pick us, will you turn the stadium into more housing, or is that pretty much a done deal? I, I believe the underlying zoning is housing. Okay. Yeah, um, just a couple thoughts to um, follow up on what John said, just because housing is something that's, you know, obviously very important to our company and something that we've been trying to um, make a huge commitment for ourselves, especially over the last 10, 15 years. So um, just a couple things I want to point out. One, I think a balance of housing that we bring into the marketplace is very important. And what I mean by balance is um, it shouldn't all be uh, high-end market rate penthouse units, and it shouldn't all be uh, you know low income, and it shouldn't all be one type of housing. It shouldn't all be studios that have no closet space, and it shouldn't be all 2,000 square foot or 1,500 square foot units with you know 10 walk-in closets, right? So um, it's really important to always have a balance, like most things in life. Um, but the other part of that is uh, along with the types and the rents, is not just having rental housing, but also having for sale housing. Um, and that's an area right now that uh, we definitely don't have as much of either in the central city grid or um, close to it. And so um, one of the things our company has tried to do over the last 10, 15 years is to introduce all those different types of housing. We started off doing three or four different projects that introduced for sale condos into the market. Um, the first one was in Midtown over by Moxie. For those of you who have ever been to 21st and H, great restaurant. Um, then we actually went to Old Sacramento and we took a historic building, the Mechanics Exchange building, right across from the Railroad Museum and we decided to completely rehab that building in Old Sacramento and do the first for sale condo project in Old Sacramento. And we did this back in 2008, 2009, where it was definitely not easy to do housing. There was, it was, for those of you, you know, who tried to get a mortgage back then, you know how difficult it was, and you knew what was going on uh, with the economy. And despite all that, there was a market for it, and we were able to sell those condos. Then we went to R Street and did some more for sale condos there above where Burgers and Brew and Shady Lady was. We transitioned from for sale condos into doing different types of rental housing. We did the Maidstone project that I mentioned earlier, which is geared towards workforce housing. So those are units for people that make 80 to 110% of the median income, which means rents are anywhere from 750 to $1,000 for most of them. 
Um, and then we did a project like 16 Powerhouse, which is 50 very high-end, larger project that has all, I'm sorry, larger units that has all the bells and whistles, the nicest appliances, the nicest finishes, the best views. Um, so we didn't cut any corners. And we're doing the same thing with our 15th and Q project. But then we also did mixed income at 700 blocks. So balance of housing, I think, is really important. Um, and I can tell you from personal experience, I met this woman sitting right across from me, Catherine, and her and her cousin Rachel are doing the mill at Broadway project and they're introducing a thousand units of for sale housing starting in the low 200. So I don't mean to say all this to try to promote, oh look at all the things that we're doing, but I'm just trying to emphasize how important a balance of housing is in the city. The second part of that real quick is, um, and this is something that I would really like for John to share um, some thoughts on, because it happened recently, and I think we were just talking about this earlier, this is probably the most important thing related to housing, <laughs> and that is jobs. And um, the more that we have, uh, frankly, amazing people like John in the city as our public officials um, or consultants um, working on bringing the Fortune 500 companies and the companies that um, have higher paying employees and higher paying jobs to our city, the easier it's gonna be for more development to happen. If more jobs are not created and more population doesn't come to the city, it's gonna be a lot harder for um, companies like ours to make the financing work on projects like 16 Powerhouse or 1430 Q Street. Um, financing's gonna be tough. Jobs aren't going to be there. Um, and unfortunately, it's great that there's a lot of projects in the pipeline right now, and there are, and they're getting built. But our city still, even though there's a lot of momentum and there's a lot of positive things going on, could be doing a lot better, right? I mean, we should all be getting up every day and telling ourselves we can do better. At least that's what my dad taught me. And, um, you know, we don't have that many cranes in our skyline. We don't have that many. We don't have any real high-rise condo projects going on right now. The expensive housing that's expensive to build, the high-rise housing that's expensive to build, it's still tough to make that pencil. It's still risky, and that's why we don't see a lot of outside investment doing that yet. Now, there is a lot of stuff happening, and some of the stuff that I think I'd like for John to mention um, is helping that, but jobs and balance of housing. Well, I have to say that one of the events that we have at the end of January uh, 26th, I believe, or 28th, the last Monday in January, we're going to be doing on business in California, what California, I guess in Sacramento too, should be doing to get businesses like that Fortune 500 company, Centene, more or less of. So I'm, I may have John on that, on that panel. But let's, let's get to some audience questions. Let's take the first one. Good evening. Uh, my name is... Mike Barnbaum, and I'm the uh, head of Ride Downtown 916. Uh, with the May 20th, 2014 council vote on the Golden One Center, it was a big uplifting experience and picked me up for uh, the city and the region. A lot has been mentioned since then uh, and speculation that where we got to just announced yesterday might be as a result of what happened in May 2014. And in case people missed it yesterday, 
uh, was the announcement by Major League Soccer uh, that Sacramento and three other cities are four finalists uh, to, get, uh, to get two of those cities uh, as Major League Soccer franchises starting in the 2020 season. Now that brings the question to the rail yards and my question of uh, partnerships through finance. Uh, the Republic FC is going to build uh, this uh, MLS stadium, which they had a ground making of not too long ago, uh, but it will be completely privately financed. One thing that people have brought to my attention is the alignment of the Sacramento Regional Transit District's green line uh, that goes to Township 9, and the alignment goes right by the intersection of 7th and Rail Yards Boulevard. Currently services only every 30 minutes on weekdays. For MLS soccer fans, assuming that Sacramento's awarded a franchise, uh, that's not enough service based on days of the week or service frequent enough uh, to consider alternative transportation to the MLS stadium site. What could the Rail Yards Corporation uh, consider if the announcement is formally made that Sacramento is going to be an MLS city starting in 2020? What financial partnerships could the Rail Yards and its partners or the city and its partners make operationally with the Sacramento Regional Transit District to assure that uh, there is funding and financing from a lot of different partners and not just exclusively from regional transit to operate additional service on that green line or bus service to the MLS stadium, whether it's a soccer or an event bigger than soccer. Thank you. John. Sure. Um, so I, I don't have an answer for you on the operational side, uh, but on uh, the capital uh, side of the discussion, I do have an answer. So uh, as you noted, the light rail line um, on 7th Street um, goes right by uh, the proposed new stadium site. And uh, a condition of approval for the stadium was to place a, uh, a, a transit stop because the, the, the line does not stop at that location. So uh, we are in the process right now of um, a financing plan that uh, if it all works out, we'll get approved in January of 2018. Uh, that would provide a, about um, $70 million of uh, public funding. It's really recrafting some of the old redevelopment agreements after redevelopment expired that will um, provide some an opportunity to provide some financing and and one of the improvements that is uh, potentially targeted with that public funding is to have a public uh, contribution to get uh, a really really great uh, transit station at that location for the soccer stadium now that line ultimately is uh, targeted to go all the way to the airport and on a daily operating basis uh, we're never going to see a great deal of activity uh, on that line until it is com the green line is completed all the way to the airport. There's just not enough uh, use to justify the operational cost. But what can be done is for event, uh, event nights or event days, 
is that trains can be stacked to the north of um, the, the station and after events people can jump on light rail and scoot anywhere in, in, in the system uh, from there. But, you know, a soccer stadium, I mean, they have 20 some odd games a year. Uh, so for those 20 events plus any concerts, you could um, stack trains and take full uh, advantage of um, light rail at the location. But that, that isn't going to change the daily operation until that connection gets made all the way to the airport. And I have a question, I guess, about the going expanding onto uh, transit and transportation, because a lot of the comments that were made on Post-its uh, revolved around those. Uh, for example, you know, connecting in bike and walking paths, I guess, in general around downtown. Occasional street closures for bikes and pedestrians without cars. Free parking. Um, and then also just, I know also on Facebook this came up, uh, bridges, more pedestrian bridges crossing the river from... Sacramento uh, to West Sacramento, which is expensive, but what do you have in the works or what do you want to have in the works in terms of, you know, mixing transit, public transit, bikes, cars, uh, closing streets, uh, either from the, the city level or what you would like, what you're advising the city from your, from your roles about uh, mixing that transit together? Rich, yeah. Richard? Yeah, I'll take that one. The um, access to the riverfront is probably the greatest uh, impediment that we have right now, so it's also the biggest focus that we have in terms of how do we improve that. One of the, uh, uh, the really the coolest ideas that, that we have at this point, let me back up for a second. When the mayor took uh, office, he had his, in his coming in speech or his inaugural speech, he said, I don't want more plans, and then he did this, and he was actually pretty accurate that we have about that many plans. Uh, I want action. Uh, in one of those plans, though, uh, in the 2003 master plan, there was an idea of having a bike pedestrian bridge that would go from our street on the Sacramento side to basically the barn or the bridge district on the West Sacramento side. So linking in one of the coolest possible ways our coolest district with West Sacramento's district, and it may end up being the most used uh, bridge uh, there. And of course, the, the challenge that we have is it's a navigable waterway, so it has to be able to go up or down or something. But if, uh, if you remember uh, this later when you're home, Google the Newcastle pedestrian bridge. It is one of the coolest bridge. It looks like two sort of bows. And one of them goes horizontal on the, on the water, and one of them goes up this way. And they support each other. And when a boat comes, the bows Rotate. Rotate. And it's a show all in and of itself. Pedestrians obviously aren't on it at that point, but it could be one of those. Th I, wasn't, I didn't mean that as a joke. The, it, it's, it's one of those things that could be a, a game changer for the way we look at our river. I mean, it's so cool. It's like the sundial bridge. People would come here just to watch that happen. People would, I'm sure, drive boats through just so that it would happen. The big upshot is that it would link two sides of the river where the most exciting things are happening. Now, of course, we also have ideas about linear along the sides of the river, better bike and pedestrian connections along the river from the American River Parkway to the Sacramento River Parkway, uh, those kinds of things. Those will always be challenged by Army Corps and all of the other um, agencies that protect us from the water that's in it, and we will make incremental progress, but like the big thing could be the way we link ourselves to West Sacramento.
What's, what's the question? Well, okay, there's, um, we actually have another bridge fully funded at this point in time, and then we need to get to this question, but it's, it's the I Street Replacement Bridge, and uh, that is um, right at Rail Yards Boulevard. It connects over to C Street in West Sacramento, and it is uh, planned to be multimodal, where it'll have very wide sidewalks, um, and they're even considering shrinking down the, the lineage of it to keep it extremely pedestrian and bicycle friendly. But that one is funded. We have $76 million. Uh, environmental work is done on that. It is in the design phase. It is scheduled to start uh, construction in 2020 and will finish in 2022 and be operational. Uh, there's a lot of talk about the current vehicle bridge on I Street, the old metal bridge, uh, being preserved as event space. So it would no longer have cars on it, but perhaps it would be a place where people could gather and have an events. And then the other one as Broadway, uh, there are current studies going on uh, jointly funded by West Sacramento and the city of Sacramento to provide an additional bridge that would be multimodal and very pedestrian friendly at Miller Park at the terminus of Broadway. There's, there's a few in the works, various stages. All right, next audience, excuse me, next audience question. I'm Chuck Skeppel and I live on P Street about three blocks from here, so I'm interested in the downtown. As I hear all this, it sounds fantastic. Some of it, I think, realistic in the next few years, and some of it realistic for 20 years from now. Um, one of the things that I think about as I hear your presentations is I wonder if anybody cooks at home anymore. Um, <laughs> lots of wonderful retail ideas. Uh, uh, first floor with apartments above, uh, different kinds of housing, and very creative, uh, but it means a lot of people living downtown. And so I'm curious about the kinds of services, the practical services, everyday services that are in the vision, besides that, what are basically the smaller, um, if you excuse the expression, mom-pop type operations uh, that are important and worthwhile. So my imagination and my tongue-in-cheek question is, well, how about, about um, Capitol Mall and Third Street or so on that first floor retail to have a full service supermarket? Uh, I'm just going to say I echo that because uh, when I lived in Old Sacramento for the first year, uh, I dreaded going to get groceries because what it meant for me to go and get my car out of the parking lot and drive over to R Street basically is where I would go or to West Sac. Uh, so I would love to see even a small market like a bodega in Old Sacramento. It's something I've been saying that we needed there that would serve the needs of our visitors, our guests, the hotels. Um, and but then to see a, a full-service uh, grocery store in downtown would be just vital to the downtown living. Is there one of the works? Has anyone come and talked to the city, John, or well, have you heard any? Okay, so um, grocery stores in uh, Midtown and downtown have been a discussion for a long time. Uh, you know, we had uh, at one point in time a big uh, Rayleigh's where Sutter is um, that went away and um, and our beautiful Alhambra Theater went away for Safeway, uh, which was a, a tragedy uh, as bad as I-5 coming through downtown or an arena out in Natomas. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, it really is a cart and horse um, issue. Uh, you know, you to support grocery, you, you kind of need to have the density of population. Um, the economics, and uh, Bay can speak to this too, are pretty tough with uh, grocery stores. Uh, their margins are very thin, and they can't pay a lot of rent. And the cost of developing uh, that, you know, large of a floor space on a ground floor, um, it, it's just not supported by the rents of, of grocery. Uh, unless you have uh, a lot of demand. Now, interesting, uh, interestingly enough, when I was at uh, CADA, uh, Paul Petrovich was uh, working on uh, the Safeway store uh, on our street. And um, he needed some help in convincing Safeway that that would work there and that the reduced parking would work there. And so we did a survey with our CADA residents uh, to f and just simply ask them what their highest needs were uh, in the community and had, of course, check boxes for them. And what ranked number one was grocery over public safety and police or pedestrian access over anything. It was a grocery store. And Paul Petrovich was able to share that with Safeway, and that was the last thing that got Safeway over the hump. And uh, we, we just asked him, since we did that for you, you need to put some residential units. And he put, I don't know, four residential units above uh, the grocery store, which was the first of its um, kind. But um, yeah, it is, we, we absolutely need uh, some of that downtown. There is a, a proposal on our street uh, that uh, um, uh, Ali Yousefi has been uh, working on. And uh, I, I think that is moving along. It's a, a concept store that uh, Rayleigh's is, uh, it's Rayleigh's still, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, that will go in at 10th, 9th? 10th. 10th and R. Um, so there's one step, but uh, we need more and we need something in the downtown. Uh, and it'll happen sometime, but I, I just think we're gonna need a little bit more density of, of housing before that's gonna work. Yeah, so I'll just add to that. So one of the um, exciting things that comes about as more people live in a downtown and more density comes to a downtown is that it becomes more and more realistic for a smaller urban focused grocery store to be viable because there's enough density, there's enough office space, there's enough jobs that are around there to support it um, 18 hours of the day, um, both lunchtime pick up grab and go and you know nighttime grab and go dinner or just groceries for a residential so we've reached that point where companies like Rayleigh's now are looking at doing smaller concepts um, that don't need as many parking spaces that don't need as many delivery trucks coming through that don't need to stock as much inventory that don't need to take up as much building to be viable and there are uh, conversations ongoing to take that concept even further and to have them uh, model concepts similar to um, if you've heard of buy right market in San Francisco for example or even the Taylor's market uh, something the size of 4,000 or so square feet uh, maybe even less um, Taylor's in Land Park area so stay tuned there are some exciting things that hopefully are going to be announced in the downtown core that i think you'll be really happy about so there is some interest in terms of talks and conversations about it's much more than uh, just conversations so. okay good <laughs> as you talk i think of uh, a memory i have uh, at one time living 
way south of here in a big city. And there was a supermarket, uh, it's a Safeway, and it's located, maybe the water table would be a problem here, but it was at the same level as the basement garage. People went down into the garage, and there were several levels of parking underground, uh, but the first level, a, a good section of it, was a full-service supermarket. So it doesn't necessarily have to be first floor only in, in consideration. Thank you. Um, we're, we're approaching our ending time officially. Uh, but so last call for questions. I have a couple that are definitely important, but please, uh, let's, uh, good. We have another audience question coming up. How are you guys doing? Uh, my name is Jack Crawford. I'm a general partner at Impact Venture Capital. We have an office in Silicon Valley, and then we took over the top floor at 801K. Um, I'm a homegrown Sacramento boy, so I'm really excited about kind of some of the things that are happening downtown. It seems as though there's two key industry drivers in the region that have been here for my entire lifetime, real estate and government. I'm wondering when um, we start to collaborate on a new industry sector and where that job creation comes from, because you both made comments about sort of density downtown, job creation, high value jobs that could you know, effectively create enough projects to allow some of these supermarkets and other things to pencil out, to do some really creative things. But it seems like it always comes back to this catalytic sort of leverage point of creating high value jobs downtown. Um, both of you made comments. I think about that a lot, obviously, with the capital formation efforts that we're focused on to invest in tech companies that could be high growth companies here. What do you think the new industry sector is, or what do you think the key is to unlocking Sacramento's potential with regard to job creation downtown? John. Um, I'm not going to necessarily directly answer your question, but I, I will talk about what we are doing to get to uh, incentivizing job creation, and it really is the uh, paradigm shift that we've uh, just demonstrated this week with the uh, approval of employment incentives for Centene Corporation to locate their Western Regional Headquarters in Sacramento. And um, the paradigm shift is really, our, our uh, economic development efforts really uh, grew from redevelopment and redevelopment agencies. And redevelopment is all about real estate development. It's about providing subsidies to developers and, um, you know, building buildings or, you know, eliminating blight. It is also for building infrastructure, but it's all about physical development. And so that's why in, in California, you, because all of California's economic development is, at least at the local level, is generally focused on that. And we are finally making the paradigm shift where we're, instead of assisting development, we want to insist, uh, assist uh, or incentivize job creation, purely job creation. And as we build jobs, that will drive real estate. I mean, the same thing will ultimately happen, but we're just coming at it uh, from the uh, employment end. And so the, the Centene deal is that um, for uh, Centene uh, in, in the Natomas area, for every thousand jobs they locate, in that area, uh, we will incentivize up to 300 of those jobs if they're net new jobs to the region. So we're not subsidizing any relocation of jobs from one area uh, of Sacramento to the other. So, um, and for each thousand up to 5,000 uh, jobs, we will incentivize with $2.7 million at $9,000 for up to 300 um, the uh, um, 
you know, job creation in Sacramento. And they have to meet targets for uh, the median salary for those subsidized have to be 120, uh, 120% of the average salary, salary in Sacramento. And the average salary of the incentive has to be 125% of the average wage in Sacramento. So we're trying to raise, raise the bar. And Centene is primarily um, hiring uh, tech um, administrative and uh, registered nurses as part of their model, their health insurance provider, and they do their like adjusting uh, and um, uh, with registered nurses who are moving from the cl clinical environment into an administrative environment. So they're really good jobs, and that is just what we want to focus on more now. We're also investing in. Um, you know, about a million dollars a year in, uh, you know, the creative economy through small grants for um, arts and creativity. Um, we just announced those a couple of weeks ago. Those are spread out throughout uh, uh, the city and uh, supporting uh, companies that um, incubate and support entrepreneurship. Uh, we've had our, and I know you're familiar with that, Jack, our, our Rails Grants programs that we uh, administered last year. So we're really trying to change the paradigm uh, through those efforts, uh, as as well as uh, kind of moving away from the, the real estate uh, subsidy side. We'll still do some of that where we can afford to, but really want to do more directly in incentivizing job creation. Yeah, I have a lot more confidence in the sort of grow from within strategy, right? But some of the things that the city's done to support sort of growing from within, it's a little bit more difficult to recruit companies to California or to Sacramento specifically, but but growing from within is an enormous opportunity, um, particularly as technology and policy start to converge, and particularly as Sacramento effectively connects itself to San Francisco and San Jose, creating a bit of a technology triangle. That's the opportunity for Sacramento Bay. I'd, I'd love to hear your comments just on downtown job creation because I'm, actually I'm going to oh. I'm going to stop you there because we're going to we, again like I said we're going to visit that in a in another panel discussion that you all now are invited to at the end of January. Also because our time is short, uh, just a couple of questions, so I just have to wrap it up. But yeah, definitely job growth is something we're going to talk about in in 2018. I did want to mention though on that topic, I think I read in the Sacramento Business Journal. Uh, yesterday or today, there was a company that had a base in old Sacramento, I guess a seed, maybe some kind of ag tech company that has now taken over the top building of the wet shear building, which is like what, 22,000 square feet? So in terms of, you know, it's a small company, but it started in old Sac and now it's expanding old Sac. So maybe a little piecemeal, but it is there's, there's uh, interesting pieces yeah, like that. They're uh, finalizing that lease now, so we haven't uh, really sent that out publicly. I mean, it's not, not public, but um, we'll be announcing some of the new things coming into Old Sacramento. So we do have things that come in there that are new. It's a lot of um, locally owned uh, businesses that we're trying to bring more of into Old Sacramento as well. But uh, we're really excited about the second and third floor businesses that are coming into that area. That's really important because those are your offices, your tech companies, um, you know, your sort of live-work type spaces. So we're, we're running out of time, and this is such a dense topic. I know we barely scratched the surface. But one last thing I wanted to ask uh, all of you about was, again, something that came up again many times in the Facebook polls and up here, the uh, emphasis on art and the farm to fork. For example, for the rail yards, one thing that got, I think that got the most votes on 
on Facebook was turning the, the rail yard buildings, the old ones that are standing there, into some kind of food mall or an art space, turning um, retail space in old Sacramento into like an art studio space. So it's a definitely there is a big passion for art and of course food uh, here in Sacramento. What are you doing, um, maybe you have mentioned, or just what would you like to see or what are you focusing on in terms of that arts and culture emphasis for the Riverfront Rail Yards, Old Sac Central Business District? What, uh, what are you working on or what, you know, especially for 2018? Brooksy? Um, I'll start with that. Uh, we're focusing more on the music right now in terms of working with local musicians. Uh, we've started different programs like Live at Five where we're, uh, we had four different restaurants every Thursday for the month of October, and we featured 16 different local artists that came in and did happy hour from 5 to 7. Sorry, I'm losing my voice. So um, so we're slowly doing small programs, you know, not coming out with anything extremely big. We've been working with a lot of the different Maker's Mart groups to try to get a Maker's Mart into Old Sacramento. Now, one of the challenges that we have is the historic buildings, and they do need uh, some infrastructure put into place. So we're looking at different partners and the property owners, you know, part, becoming more of a partner in some of these as well. Um, as well as some pop-ups. Uh, right now, we have a wood uh, a wood maker who is uh, looking for a gallery space, and he is born and raised in Sacramento, lives out on Garden Park Highway, and he makes gorgeous furniture and um, art pieces out of wood, and so we're hoping to bring him into that as a way of um, expanding the, where our, our goods and services are also geared a little bit more towards the arts. Um, and anything that we can do to try to create artist pop-ups uh, within the empty spaces, we're also looking at programs for that as well. I think maybe you mentioned, like, or Brooksy or Rich, or one of the ideas that came up and got a lot of interest was floating barges with uh, art shows. And I know you have to deal with both multiple agencies with, when it comes to the river, but that was one that perked people's interest was a floating barge with parties and art shows. The, and the barges, um, that's, that's something I've done in some other areas or barge series. So my biggest dream would be to have a, a barge music festival and, and that's where you would take in the whole three miles and instead of the people moving to the bands, the bands come to you. So you're sitting along the riverfront at your favorite restaurant or, or just in a, you know, a, a grassy area under a tree and the barge comes down and it has you know three different stopping points. And so you do three barges, three places that it stops. And as you sit there for the afternoon, you get all this experience that comes down. So that's one of them. Uh, floating barges and things, it's not, I mean, it's very doable, but it is. You are dealing with a lot of agencies, uh, but it is definitely something that I see uh, in the not so far future uh, for Old Sacramento to be able to put, to do something out there. Richard? One la just one, one last piece of that. So you talked about the infrastructure that's necessary to be able to support those companies, particularly creative, innovative startup companies. And what Old Sacramento does not have is very good bandwidth. So we were working with Verizon, and you heard the mayor uh, announce yesterday that Sacramento will become the first 5G city. <clears throat> the great part about 5G is that it's wireless, and so all of that 200,000 square feet of vacant space right now in Old Sacramento will suddenly go from vacant, old, funky space to high-tech, funky space. And that's perfect for innovative and artistic types of companies. So I think that Old Sacramento has an unbelievable uh, opportunity to sort of 
grab onto the idea that it's not corporate, it's not downtown, it's not all of the things that artists tend to shun for the most part, and it is the thing that they tend to be gravitated to, which is the cool edges. Bay? I'll just add one thing as far as arts and culture in our city go. Um, I think it's really important to identify our uh, property business improvement districts, our PBIDs. Um, we have some great ones. Um, for example, the Midtown Association controls, as of last January, they control Fremont Park. And in the almost one year now that Emily at the Midtown Association and Hannah and the whole team over there have um, had Fremont Park under um, their purview, they have added all kinds of events. Uh, when the weather was better, they had Tuesday, Thursday yoga in the park events where hundreds of people would show up for yoga in the park, as an example. The Downtown Sacramento Partnership, another PBID, um, they have Lima Park um, that they oversee, which is across from the 700 block and the arena. So with the completion of our project, that's another um, public space where um, more events and more uh, emphasis on culture um, could be brought to our city. So we have some great PBIDs, and I just wanted to recognize that and note that they are a great vehicle to help facilitate more events and more culture in various public areas of our city. John, last word. We've got Golden One Arena, which has uh, done a great job bringing in musical events. And I just wanted to know, you know, what the city's focus for bringing, if there's any that you can mention about arts and culture, bringing more of it into downtown SAC. Any plans or anything that you can announce for 2018? I'm not thinking of any uh, great <laughs> announcements right now for 2018 okay. on arts and culture. Okay. Um, we'll just be going into our uh, second year of our uh, grant program to uh, support those. Um, I'm sure there is something in the works, but I'm just not. You can, uh, you can use all the parking fees and revenues that you have gotten to fund more of that. Mm -hmm. All right. I will have to end on that note since we're, we're a little over time. But again, thank you very much for uh, being here. Thank you, audience, for putting the great comments and suggestions up there. Uh, again, this is all being podcast. I'll send out the link. And stick around. We have the raffle with a lot of Crocker swag. I'm sorry, not raffle, sorry, door prize uh, with Crocker swag. But thank you very much for attending. This has been a great event. And uh, I think we all look forward to the future of downtown SAC. You've been listening to California Groundbreakers. Tonight's conversation was held on November 30th, 2017 at the Crocker Art Museum in downtown Sacramento. Many thanks to our panelists, John Dangberg, Brooksy Hughes, Bay Mary, and Richard Rich for talking with us about the city's future. A special thanks to the Crocker Museum for hosting this event, and in particular, Aaron Dorn and Stacy Shonet Hendrick for helping us to put this event together. Also, thanks to our Groundbreakers Board of Directors who attended and helped us out at the event. And of course, thanks to you for listening. Find out when our next event is by going to our website, californiagroundbreakers.org.